Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese-American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S.-Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese-Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another one of our podcasts, Politicus, from the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States, PALCAS, our national organization serving Portuguese Americans throughout the U.S. I'm Denise Borges, and I'm uh, here with my co-host, the most awesome chairperson of any organization in the whole wide universe, <laughs> Angela Costas-Timoj. Hi, Angela. How are you? Hi, Denise. Thanks for that most awesome introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are so happy to have uh, here on our podcast as our guest today, a Portuguese-American from the Central Valley in California. He is a supervisor in Fresno County. His name is uh, Buddy Mendes. Supervisor Mendes, welcome to you. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Well, thank you. Uh... Thank you for letting me join you in this podcast. Well, our pleasure. And um, if you don't mind, we always like to start these podcasts with a little bit of some uh, biographical information for those who listen to Politicus. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, about your introduction into politics, uh, into the political world and election as Fresno County Supervisor. Fresno County is one of the largest counties in California, certainly uh, the largest in the San Joaquin Valley. And also a little bit about your Portuguese connection. Uh, what is your roots? Uh, where are your roots and uh, how are you connected? Let's start off with my roots. My dad's parents were born in Terceira. Uh, my grandfather was from a little place called Santa Barbara. Oh, well, I think we're cousins. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I'm... Are you related to the Samoas twins and Tulerik? Uh I don't think so. But, you know, okay. it could be Well, they're else. from Santa Barbara, too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you're Samoans and you're from Tercera, you're probably, and you're from Santa Barbara, there's got to be a relationship somewhere, I'm sure. Huh? Yes. We're, it's kind of, uh, my grandmother was, uh, was from, uh, let's call it Eda Grand, but it's basically part of Beringa. Mm -hmm. And, uh, She came here about, I think about 1917, and my grandfather came in 1911. He was actually, his mom had four boys, his dad died young, and uh, the two middle boys, and he was one of the middle boys, was he, they were raised in the orphanage there in Angra. And uh, they could still see their mom, but that was kind of, in those days, that was The priest would take these boys in because that was like boot camp to be a priest. Right. So from five years old on, he was intensely educated. At 15, he was in a seminary in Lisbon already. Wow. And when he came here, he could speak six languages and read and write them. Although Latin, nobody spoke Latin unless you were going to be a priest because the Latin mass you know, the church, the mass was in Latin in those days. Sure. But he, but he could, um, one of my cousins later on was going to college and told him that she was taking a course in French. And he said, Hey, write me a letter and I'll write you one back. So she writes a letter and about a week later, this letter comes back and she says, God, I was so embarrassed. This letter was like at least high school level French. 
that my grandfather had sent me. And I was embarrassed because it was very, you know, basic French letter that I wrote him, you know, but <laughs> so apparently he could, and a lot of people, my grandfather was A.F. Mendes. And so he, you uh, were, you were third generation. So in other third words, generation, second not, generation born here. Right. On my mom's side, her mother was actually born in Fresno okay. in 1907. Let's see. Now, her parents were from uh, St. George, and they were from Bishkoitz. So both of your families from your mom's side and your dad's side were roots in the Azores, basically. Yeah, and then my grandmother's father, he was born in Coimbra, and apparently, because see, my grandfather came here because of the revolution in 1910, basically, mm -hmm. uh, because... At, at that time, they came into the seminary, the guys that had took over the government, and uh, they told uh, the bishop that, hey, you can't have this deal here anymore. And the kids had a choice of either going to Italy or going home, and he chose going home. I see. And then his uncles were in Tulare, his mother's uh, brothers, and they ended up sending for the mom and them. And they came to Stratford originally. But my grandfather, Pereira, he was from uh, Coimbra. And uh, his dad moved to, moved him to uh, the Flush in around 1910. Interesting. Yeah. So you have roots all over Portugal, yeah. basically. All over the Azores and a little bit of mainland Portugal as well. Yeah. But you were, fact, you were born yeah. and raised in the Riverdale area? Riverdale. And then for... Ten years, I lived in Fremont because my dad had went had uh, my family had bought a chain of drive-in dairies in the '60s, and they had a creamery in Hayward. So my dad ended up having to go up there and run it. So I I went to junior high and high school in Fremont, and then I moved back to Riverdale in 1975. And when when did uh, did you take an interest in getting involved in public service? Let's see. I was always interested in politics. I've known every the, the supervisor that sits on my chair today. I've known everybody that sat in this chair since 1975 hmm. or 76. So you know, I was kind of interested then, but I um, didn't serve on anything until. In 1991, I I'd got elected to the school board in Riverdale. And then I moved into town off the dairy. And as soon as I moved into town, the city fathers, we had a, uh, Riverdale is an unincorporated community. And the only government they really have there is, it's called the utility district. Mm -hmm. The utility district did uh, water, sewer, they had a, their own fire department and had a lighting district. And as soon as I moved into town, they approached me. There was a seat open in the public utility district. And they wanted me to serve on it. So I started there. I did that for 18 years. And I was on the school board for 21. I used to help people get elected. Some of the people I've helped when they first ran were people like Devin Nunes. Mm -hmm. I'm still good friends. Hmm. Later on, uh, David Valadeo. 
always help, you know, and, and help local people in elections run. So the supervisor that was Judy Case had my seat in, in 2014 told me she was going to retire and told me that, hey, I think you should run. And I, like a dummy, I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's how I ended up being a supervisor. So you were elected what year? Not in 2014. Okay. And so you're on your second term now? Yeah, I'm on my second term. Yes. Okay. And of course, you plan on doing a third term, I imagine? Uh, yeah. Okay. But I don't like the, I'm kind of one of these people that when they get a certain age, I think sometimes you should just walk away. Yeah. You know, and don't stay there, you know, until you die. Sure, sure, sure. What, uh, you know, when you first uh, got on the school board and, of course, into the what is uh, best known as a city government, but not really an incorporated city in Riverdale and then, of course, um, being uh, what's uh, what drove you? What was uh, what was the main reason, if you recall, that drove you to actually get on the uh, uh, on the, the school board, board at the yeah. time, we had a uh, in a lot of rural areas. Uh, they they have an independent high school district and independent elementary school districts mm -hmm. that feed into them. And um, I always felt that the school district needed to be a unified district. And uh, there was a lot of problems at the high school, so my cousin Tony was on the elementary school district and my father-in-law was too. And they said, hey, you need to get on the high school district. So again, I said, sure, and ended up be doing it. And um, one of the things I worked at and we got done within the first two years I was there, we got unification done. And it was a pretty, uh, pretty big process because we had to have special legislation Mm -hmm. from the state to do it. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit about what unification is and how that would how it benefits the community? Okay, how that, that works is, is uh, you're probably used to uh, a school that when you start in kindergarten, you stay in the same district all the way through if you don't move through high school, correct? I'll use Fremont Unified as a good example. I, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Are you from Fremont? I seen that uh, in your. Yeah, I I live there. I'm not from there, but I live there about live 15 there. years now. Yeah. Where are you from? Sacramento. Sacramento. So there were benefits to both elementary and. Oh secondary yeah, to yeah. Being it's a, it's way better. You kind of have a. Well, you can bring the kids through, and with the curriculum is always, you know, in and intertwined were, you know, when they move on to the high school, you can make sure the kids are ready. Okay. And um, when you ran, and of course you've been on, this, on the uh, Fresno County Board of Supervisors now for six years, what, uh, what are some of the main issues that, uh, that you're having to deal with right now and have dealt with in your tenure as a supervisor there in uh, Fresno County? Okay, well, there's like various, you know, Counties are different than cities because a lot of people forget that the great welfare state, the rubber hits the road at county level. Because we basically, 
we facilitate a lot of federal and state programs. You know, so you got that part, plus you still, you know, have the DA, the sheriff, the auditor controller that, you know, all your other functions of county. There's still, you know, you still have those, plus you're the biggest part and the biggest group of your employees actually runs the great welfare state. So all of the so-called human uh, resources or health and human resources are ran by the counties. Ran by the counties. Everywhere in California. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll just give you an example. The biggest piece, you know, public health, mental health, and uh, social services run probably almost all of them. We have 7,000 employees, about 7,500. Social Service Department has 4,200. So that's the biggest chunk of the employees for the biggest deal. So, you know, we have, there's budget issues, you know, that we always have to deal with. We had some problems here, which I already, I kind of knew that got fixed, you know, while I was here. One was our auditor controller wasn't, even though it's an elected position, we don't control it, wasn't recalculating the account balances. So our account balances were kind of, uh, weren't really correct. And our auditor controller left midterm, we were able to go to, go outside and appoint somebody. And that person, you know, is, you know, fixed, basically fixed everything, which was pretty good because they basically found $60 million floating around. Wow. So, I mean, that was probably one of the biggest things that we've got done. What's a, uh, Supervisor Menders, what's the relationship between, for example, the uh, supervisors, uh, that uh, the Fresno County supervisors in this case, and the cities like the city of Fresno and some of the other cities that uh, are in the, is it, uh, is it, is it a good re- working relationship or are there sometimes some issues that both sides you know, have uh, opposite views or, um, or is there any kind of uh, uh, antagonism between them or how do counties and city governments conciliate all this? Okay, of the, we've got 15 cities, and I represent nine of them. And some of the cities that I represent are Reedley, Sanger, Selma, Fowler, and then you got Claro, Kingsburg, and then Claro over on the west side, Huron, Kalinga. Our relationship with 14 of the cities is pretty dang good, mm. all through with between uh, councils, mayors, uh, city managers. A lot of these smaller cities, the city manager really has a lot of pull through the council to get things done. Right. With the city of Fresno, Mm -hmm. we have a good relationship with the administration. The council's kind of in flux right now. I would say our relationship with them is just kind of okay. But there usually usually isn't a lot of, um, or or, or there are usually some... uh, there usually aren't a lot of issues between county government and city governments, in your opinion. Yeah, they do different things. So there's no reason for there to be, you know, so no. any kind of issues. Yeah. No. One of the things I was also we'd like to touch upon these pod- podcasts, and of course, Angela, you know, will have some questions as well. Mm-hmm. Is uh, you know, right where we began when you started uh, to mention about your your biography and your roots to the Azores, uh, being a Fresno County supervisor's uh, supervisor, and before that, being involved in the city of. Uh, and the incorporated, unincorporated city of uh, Riverdale, and of course, the school board. 
How does being, uh, and in your case, from both sides of your family, how does being uh, an American of Portuguese ancestry uh, with roots in the Azores and also in mainland Portugal and your grandfather's uh, maternal side, how does it being uh, a, uh, an American with Portuguese roots and such you know, interesting roots, especially from that's a, that's a family, how does that shape you and who you are as a, as a public servant? Well, that's a great thing in a valley because, especially if you come from a big family, and I think one of the kind of jokes around here, people will ask me, well, you related to that person? A lot of times I am. <laughs> it's kind of like the only other thing is in this town is if you were Armenian. <laughs> that's true. In Fresno. You know, it's kind of a, if you're Portuguese or Armenian, that's a good thing. <laughs> and of course, the Mindish family are all over. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so you feel it has helped you in your... Well, it helped me tremendously. Okay. Tremendously. And has it shaped your views? Not too much, no. Okay. No. And, and uh, I think it's uh, just looking, you know, at, you know, the Portuguese community in America. The Central Valley is a little different. Most Portuguese people in the Central Valley are usually conservative Republicans. Now, if you go to the Bay Area or, or Massachusetts or Rhode Island, because my dad, grandfather Pereira has cousins that, you know, people, his sister was in Rhode Island and had a lot of kids. Those people are usually uh, more democratic. Do you feel that being Portuguese sometimes kind of gives you an end to talk to both sides of the field? Yeah. Well, I mean, even here we had, uh, you know, Jim Costa's, uh, a Democrat. My parents knew Jim Costa's parents, so you know it's that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, as we, as the community gets, as you know, you know, there's uh, there was an influx of immigration. Some of them that worked obviously for your family dairies, you know, throughout the years that came from the Azores in the 1960s and 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 all the way up until the late 70s. But that has ceased. Uh, so it's been now over 40 some years since we've had really significant amount of immigration from the Azores. Um, and so the community well, we've had a lot more second and third generation. So how do you feel the community, how do you see the community in Riverdale, Leighton, and all that whole area that's been traditionally very Portuguese? Yeah, it's changed completely. Okay. Changed completely. How's that? Well, I mean, a lot of the Portuguese people of, you know, the next of my generation moved on. Like if I go to even Riverdale today, the Portuguese people of my generation are just uh, a couple of the Quillos are still there, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. Of course, we got Liz Mata, but Liz Mata moved from the Bay Area to come to Riverdale. Right. She's kind of uh, uh, mm -hmm. adopted the valley. <laughs> and uh, one issue also, um, some of the issues that you're working on right now uh, in, in, in the county, and I know that uh, for this area, water is always an important issue. How, how is that process going? Well, well, pretty good. I mean, water, when it, you know, there's old Western saying, whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting. <laughs> and uh, it, that has never changed. I mean, uh, even with the state, you know, right now with the, they're bucking the new biological opinion. There's several suits and, you know, back in federal court again. And there's just a, that's always a, 
that's always a fight. Water is actually probably of any subject that I do, water is probably one of the ones that I probably know the most. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, it's called SIGMA, the Groundwater Stabilization Act. No, explain that to us if you don't. Okay, that's an act that was passed in 2014. And it was basically, California uh, has always traditionally been the wild west of the wild west on pumping water. And uh, that was, that formalized where you have to start, every area has to start monitoring their groundwater. And eventually by 2040, we need to come and balance. Now, when it comes to the state with groundwater, only Southern California, Riverside County, San Bernardino County, there's areas there that uh, groundwater has been uh, adjudicated, you know, through um, a long court process. And there was some Portuguese people involved, you know, that came from Artesia that went to uh, Chino Mm -hmm. that were involved in that. One of the people that, well, he's not really involved in that, but he uh, was very uh, politically active in this state, was uh, Fred Aguirre. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys ever talked to Fred. I know the Fred, name. Yeah, I know his Fred name. was uh, my Aunt Alice and Uncle Tony's nephew. He was a Machado. It was a big family. There was 11 of them. And uh, he was in a, first a supervisor in Chino, and then uh, he was a state assemblyman. And then he, when Schwarzenegger was elected, Schwarzenegger grabbed him, and eventually he was Schwarzenegger's appointment secretary. Right. In fact, I went to the Azores. Fred was one of the people that went with me and Kathy. You know, because you know my cousin, Kathy Gully. Correct, correct. Yeah. And um, one other the issue that's kind of uh, facing everybody right now is, of course, the coronavirus, the the shelter in place that we've had, and everything else. And how is the how is that affected uh, the Fresno County, and how is well, okay. how's the county having to deal with all that? Okay. okay, because the health directors are part of the county. Correct. So that that you have the state health director, and then you got the fifty eight county health directors. So that pretty much has consumed a lot of our time, you know, of having to deal with a lot of that stuff. And um, it's just basically been a a time management deal. And how about resources? Yeah, well, you know, luckily, the the federal government came with, you know, the CARES Act. Mm -hmm. And like, we're a large county, so we actually got CARES Act money directly. Mm -hmm. And um, some of that money we can actually spend on... uh, COVID-related uh, issues, you know, whether it be testing, trackers, you know, different things like that. Small counties like Kings County didn't get any money directly, so the state's been trying to help them out a little bit. So only the large counties were got direct funding? Correct. Okay. And how has the community in general just responded down there? Because I, you know, so I live in the Bay Area, my mom was up here in Sacramento, and I noticed a stark difference between when I go out to the grocery store, right? If you go in Fremont, everybody's got a mask, and everybody's wiping down the carts and everything like that. And you go, you come up here, and 
it's about 50-50. So how has the community I think Fresno would um, responded down there? Like Sacramento. Yeah. Like we're already back to meeting in in, uh, in person. The county is. Mm -hmm. We never actually stopped hmm. meeting in person. Okay, and I think uh, I think our time is uh, uh, almost up. Uh, but I'd like to um, explore a couple of other topics. Angel, do you have any others? Yeah, I was actually curious because in the in our conversation, you mentioned how the the you know the Portuguese demographic has changed so much, um, and then especially with your experience on the school board, has and and I know that Denise, I don't know the particulars, but I know that like um, one of the schools in Fresno or Tulare, rather, has one of the largest Portuguese language programs in the state in terms of number of students. But I'm curious from a county perspective and you know the school board, did the topic of Portuguese language instruction ever come up? Um, was it uh, something that the community voiced uh, their desire for? If not, you know, do you, why do you think that is? And do you think it was just a matter of I'll, nobody I'll wanting to? I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you. Portuguese people have been one of the greatest to assimilate. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew people that came, you know, in the, that came in the seventies that when they got here, they couldn't speak English, but within a year they were pretty proficient. And by the time they graduated, they graduated near the top of their classes. But that's always like my mom couldn't, you know, even though her mom was born here, her dad didn't speak English very good. Mm -hmm. So she was brought up speaking Portuguese. So when she went to school, when she was five years old, she goes to school and realized she can't understand. But my mom, yeah. you would never know it. You know, she never spoke with a Portuguese accent. So it was just a matter of people not, uh, because they wanted to assimilate so much, they never even made the request or, or thought that it would be important to have Portuguese in the schools. Correct. And do you find but we had our own experience with our parents, you know, mm -hmm. and theirs, you know. Their deal was they added they were driven to understand English. So do you think that's changed though in the last, let's say, even 10 years when you have generations with that want to learn another language and specifically Portuguese? Have you had has there been anybody that has approached the school board to say, hey, no, we no. No. Now if that happened what would be the process? Because I'm sure there are people out there. And, and the reason I'm not going down this path is because I feel like people, oh, I wish there were, but I don't know what to do. And I don't know where to start. So like, what would be the process that you would recommend for your, your county? Someone comes to a meeting, somebody gets a petition. Somebody, well, if they, they, they can show a need, but you know, at the county level, that's not our deal. That's the, that's the individual school board does. Like, you know, the city of Fresno has to, has a problem where they've got probably three major languages that they have to work with. And there's probably more than 30 that they have to deal with. In mm -hmm. But when you were on the school board, um, uh, Supervisor Mendes, when you were on the school board, if someone came up, if someone wanted something in the curriculum, whether it be Portuguese or anything else, but in this case, as Angela mentioned, Portuguese, is still one of the best ways is to act to be uh, an activist. Or in other words, to go to the school board meetings and voice your opinion. No, or just talk to them directly. Okay, that's always the best. 
So that's always the, best. That always the school board member is a good idea. Yeah, okay. go directly to them. Okay. Now, I don't know if, uh, you know, like Hillmar, Stevenson, that area, there's still a lot of Portuguese speaking people there in that area. Yeah, Hillmar has a great program yeah. going right now. Yeah. Hillmar and Tulare have, uh, have yeah. programs. In well, my daughter-in-law, one of my daughter-in-laws from Hillmar. We, uh, as we come up on our at the end of our of our podcast, and first of all, thank you so much for spending, uh, you know, taking a half hour to spend with us. We always like to end it uh, with our public officials, our elected public officials, asking them a little bit of uh, advice to those. We have lots of young Portuguese Americans uh, who are now in college. Many of them thinking about getting involved in the political world, running for something. Uh, whether it be, as you did, for a school board, whether it be for city council, supervisor. So my there's two parts to my question. First of all, um, is supervisor going to be it, or are you thinking about running for a state level? Let me ask that for you. Uh, the, the answer is hell no. <laughs> that was a definite no. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, you can and why very, not? And why not? You could be very effective. I told somebody one time, they asked me, was here, you know, after I got, he says, you know, you, you should run for something else. You know, you're overqualified for being a supervisor. I said, you know something? I like I like this job because I can go home every night to my family. Sure. Um, I know that, and I told him, hey, look. And I mentioned a, a congressman. I said, hey, he's going to run. And, I, and at the time, I knew the Speaker of the House. I said, if he asked me, hey, you need to run, I'd say, no, I'm going to go find somebody. Because that traveling back and forth to D.C. would kill me. Okay. So that's a no. Um, the other one, no. as we attend uh, uh, our uh, time here on the uh, Politicals podcast from uh, Palkus, is um, a little bit of maybe of an advice. What, what kind of advice would you give to someone younger or even older? Because you can get into politics Learn. at any age. Be what advice would you give to them? Be a sponge. Learn. And you can't learn a lot of this in school. you got to learn it through life. Get some life experiences. You get some life experiences, keep learning. Then one day it'll hit you. Hey, I can do that. But you need to keep learning. A lot of, one of the things I've noticed, because I, I have nine cities that I represent, and I like all my councilmen there. I see some that are young and needed to get more experience before they did what they did. So now they have to learn on the job. Sure. And for those who are thinking of a, of a statewide um, race, there's nothing wrong with starting at a city council. There's nothing wrong starting at a, at a, at a school board. No, right? that's where you, you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Worst things is be on, be on a special district. There's a lot of special districts and, and you can learn a lot on how the world works. Is, uh, in you know, your opinion also, is getting on, um, and especially if you're Portuguese-American, trying to get involved in, in whether it be at a local level or county, is being, for example, uh, appointed to some of these committees, uh, some of these commissions that exist in the city, do you think that's good, a good idea? That's a good thing. Like planning commissions and things like that? Exactly. That's how you cut your teeth. So just basically get involved in some Get involved. Okay. Well, Supervisor Mendes, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Yep, thank you. We appreciate, uh, we appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, we wish you best of luck, and uh, hopefully we can chat again soon. Okay, and, and maybe I'm related to Angela. <laughs>
I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's some, yeah. Sure we'll, have a, we'll have an offline discovery conversation about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Angela, we come upon the end of another exciting uh, Politicus podcast. We do. And uh, so thanks, everybody out there for, for listening. And hit, subscribe if you haven't already and share share the, the podcast with friends and family. And if you have suggestions for folks for us to interview, let us know that as well. You can email it to palcus at palcus.org. And then, of course, write us a review on iTunes that will help others discover the conversation and participate. And thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese-American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese-American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus.palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palcus. Politicus is made possible through the support of the Luso-American Development Foundation.